This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Many voices, one journey. SoundsTrue.com You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Jonathan Ellerby. Jonathan is an emerging teacher in the areas of spiritual exploration, healing, and consciousness. He's the author of the book, Return to the Sacred, as well as the Sounds True audio learning program, Your Spiritual Personality, Finding the Path That's Right for You. In this episode of Insights at the Edge... Jonathan and I spoke about this idea of spiritual personality, what he calls the six aspects of spiritual personalities, along with how we can grow and better understand others through these personalities. We also spoke about the clarity that arises from living in accord with our true self. Here's my engaging conversation with Jonathan Ellerby. This idea of a spiritual personality... Mm. Come on, first of all, I mean, my personality, that's kind of like my my persona. I don't really care about mm. my personality exactly, do I? And then this concept of a spiritual personality, yeah. can, can you explain this to me, Jonathan? Well, I like the fact that you attached the concept of personality to persona. Because spiritual personality is perhaps another way to say your soul's nature. Okay. So what we're talking about is acknowledging that when we come into this world, we have certain aptitudes and we have certain preferences, certain orientations, and as many people have experienced, no matter what the world may want them to be like or do, there are certain things in who we are that just can't be changed. And even if we fake it, we find that we pay the price in time. So in many ways, coming to know your spiritual personality is like coming to know your essential nature. And this is an interesting thing to talk about in the world of spirituality because so many traditions our interest in transcending our individuality or transcending our preferences yeah. or our biases. I mean, when, when it all comes down to it, it doesn't matter what my spiritual personality right. is because we're all going to this same right. non-dual oneness, one. anything. Yeah, Correct, so, so, and it's yeah. all pure consciousness. Yeah. And yet anyone who says that they have realized pure consciousness probably walked a path that reflected their spiritual personality to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So sure, we can hear whether it's Yogananda or Meister Eckhart telling us it's all one and our differences don't matter and this is truly all an illusion. But the path that they took to realize that reflected something unique about who they are. Mm -hmm. They didn't do the same things. They didn't do the same practices. And so what I find in my work is that a lot of modern seekers are almost caught in some of these messages because they hear that it doesn't matter and yet they find that the tools that they're picking up aren't always working for them. So they're saying, why is it that this author who's so popular doesn't make sense to me? Or why is it that this practice that everyone says is supposed to enlighten you doesn't, <laughs> makes me angry, you know, mm -hmm. what am I supposed to do with that? And so this is an opportunity to really affirm for people that it's okay to be spiritually different. Mm -hmm. It's okay to have different spiritual orientations. 
And that's what spiritual personality is about. I mean, is it kind of like saying different people like different types of foods? Is it like that? or It's a little bit like that in the sense that we have preferences. Um, although if we were to work with that analogy, so yeah. let's work with that analogy, uh, it's more complex than saying, I like chocolate, you like vanilla. There's a lot of things that go into why we like different foods. So we could talk about Ayurvedic doshas. We could talk about Chinese medicine and imbalances. We could talk about what your mother fed you when you were, you know, needed nurturing, as well as talking about allergies. So there's a lot of things that go into the foods that I like. It's not as simple as, I just happen to like this, if you look deeper. And in a similar way, even though it's a bit of a bizarre metaphor, uh, spiritual personality is no different. So I actually identify six different aspects that help construct the spiritual personality. And these six different aspects are influenced by a variety of factors like what we came with when we were born, as well as what our experiences have been, as well as our social influences. When you say what we came with when we were born, do you mean the past life material we're carrying? Or what do you mean by that? However you understand the nature of the soul, what we showed up with. Yeah. The so fact that, that could we weren't be an empty slate when we were correct. tabula rasa, when we were a baby, that correct. we came with certain yeah. characteristics. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And then these six aspects, or can yeah. we, what, what are these? So these six aspects, it's, it's um, you know, they create almost like a code in a way. Okay. Yeah, let's, I mean, we like the, that. Let's hear the code. That's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. And the code changes over time, though, as we change ourselves, mature, and evolve. So the first two elements that we look at are the first two aspects are sacred concept and self-concept. So when we look at sacred concept, basically what we're talking about, what is your assumption about ultimate reality? Is it personal or impersonal? Does it have form or is it formless? See, if someone's innate sense of the sacred is personal, then talking to them about the unified field and energy consciousness and uh, meditation may go completely over their head. Conversely, if someone is maybe driven by more of a consciousness orientation or an interest in energy, if that's their language, and you encourage them to try the path of devotion, where they're supposed to not only have a personal image of God, but pictures of God at home, and sit ad adoringly at sure. God's feet, this is not going to work. So sacred concept is the first. Okay, now before we go any further, yeah. I want to hear all six, believe me. But, yeah, that's uh, fine. Already I identify with both. I, Which is I, I, fine. Yeah, I feel both devotional Correct. and I feel sort of a formless consciousness orientation. Correct. So what we find then is typically as we mature, if I could use that, uh, yeah. term, we become more inclusive. So we, we so are come... Are saying I'm mature, Jonathan? I, I'm saying you're getting there. Okay, okay, <laughs> no, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you're very sorry, mature. No, sorry. Um, so what we find then, yeah, is that we become more inclusive and we realize that, yes, we can encounter the divine in a personal way and yet we do not define or contain the divine merely through personal concepts. We understand that... that God, for lack of a better word, could be in both form and formless. And this is what a lot of our mystic teachers have said for generations. I think one of the values of making this explicit for listeners and for seekers is that they don't always recognize this. They often feel, or the people that I, to, uh, I speak to, often feel almost trapped or confused by 
their assumptions when they don't line up with the practices that they want to cultivate the deeper experience. And my emphasis is on spirituality as an experience. It's not about having the right belief system or the right idea of God. It's about having a vehicle and a path that will help you to unfold that process of maturation in which you transcend the tools, the path, the vehicle. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of, a, as some might say, a pre-trans fallacy. Right? We can't fool ourselves into thinking that we can live the mystic vision until we've really experienced it. And that means we need to start where we are. Mm -hmm. So, if a listener, if a person's listening to the program and they're coming from a Christian tradition, and let's say they have a very personal concept of God, well then that aspect of their spiritual personality will define which of the pathways will be more or less appealing to them. And that's kind of the value. Okay, so, you know? so let's just make, lay out these six different components the rest of, of, them? of my spiritual personality. Okay. So one is sacred concept, Correct. consciousness orientation, or more of a devotional well, form or, or non-form. Yeah, I would, I would I'd be careful okay. about using the word devotional yet, because that is one of the terms I use for one of the 12 master pathways, one of the 12 practices Okay, man, now we're getting, people we've can got adopt. six, we've got 12. Right. Okay. So the first thing you need to do is yeah. discern your own spiritual personality. Okay. That's step one. Okay. Then you look at the options, the paths, the vehicles, and using your spiritual pathway, or using your spiritual personality, you're going to select your path. Okay. So it's, it's actually fairly simple, but yeah, if you put it all on the table at the same time and you don't sort it out... Well, let's stick with the spiritual personality. Let's though. start there. Let's start there. So... First thing we want to be clear about our natural orientations. Sacred concept is the first. How do I relate to the sacred? How do I identify it? The second is self-concept. Now, self-concept has to do with literally um, what do we believe the essential self to be? Now, for a more advanced seeker, this may seem like a kind of a no-brainer, but the three layers here are, as you and I have talked about at times, the persona, the soul, and what I'm calling the spirit. And this would be the socially driven, externally formed self, the innate natural self, and the aspect of self which is divine, which is not individual at all. And depending on where a, a seeker orients themselves, the paths will be more or less suitable. For example, I find that there are many people who frankly, are really interested in spirituality as a tool to manage stress and find a greater sense of calm or health in life. This is more of a persona-oriented interest. Kind of like, what's in it for me? I'm not sure if I really believe in the big picture, but I, I just want tools to help me to be happier. But then we move to people that are more soul-oriented. And this is more about, how do I find my gifts? How do I find my passion? We start hearing people talk more about manifestation and intention and who was I born to be? What makes me unique? And pathways can help those people too. But then there's people whose orientation is purely around consciousness or spirit. They want to awaken to the truth of who they are at their deepest level or the true nature of ultimate reality. Well, this person will also because of this orientation, engage their practices differently. 
You see, the, the confusion in the world is that we have all these practices that look the same from the outside, but when we move into the interior journey, we see people are traveling them very differently. So in one pew in a church, we may have six people, and they may be doing the same prayers, and they may be sitting in the same building. But because of their spiritual personality, they are connecting to very different things. They are coming to very different conclusions and assumptions. And if one of those six has a spiritual personality that matches the setting, well, then their heart's on fire and they're awakening through this powerful, beautiful place. But if another one in that same pew's spiritual personality doesn't match, you know, they're checking their watch and they're thinking about where they're going to go eat afterwards and they can't wait till this thing's over. But they're missing a great opportunity to cultivate that maturation of the spirit. So there's an important value in understanding where our orientation is. Is this making sense? It is, you know, um, but when you talk about the self-concept, mm -hmm. when you talk about people who are, are, are functioning more at a, did you call it a persona sure. level, or yeah. even more at the manifestation intention, what am I right. going to get out of this? You know, my own bias mm. has been that those two perspectives are taking the riches of spirituality yeah. and turning it into the me game. And Correct. to me, it's not as easy as to say, oh, well, that's okay. I mean, fine, good, great. That's yeah. their spiritual personality. I personally have been critical of that. Uh, uh, well, to me, I guess, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't, ex I haven't uh, felt the need to be critical of it in the sense that this is what we see on the planet. So I just observe it as a phenomena. Some people are ego-driven. Some people are soul-driven. Um, what, what I certainly do agree with, though, is that there's a cost. There's absolutely a cost to that kind of orientation to the spiritual path because it does diminish not only the power and potential of these practices, but even the role of the transcendent in our lives. It feels sometimes like kind of missing the mark. And yet, on the other hand, I mean, it's who's for, <laughs> why am I the one to judge whether they are doing what they should be or not? All I can do is present options for people and help them understand the limits of certain choices and the potential within others. And then ultimately it's their own experience that will help to unfold that awakening. And that, that's why, I mean, it's kind of an interesting um, topic, you know, this idea of is there, you know, can you be spiritually on track or off track? And is there spiritual right and wrong or misuse or abuse of a, of a path? you'd have to have an assumption about what the right use is in order to have a sense that someone would be wrong. And I think what's slippery about that slope is it's very easy to cycle back into the ego with that kind of feeling. And, and you know from experience, I know, many great teachers who have awakened to the divine, who have experienced the undifferentiated unity of all things, but then they become so passionate about it that the personality kicks in and suddenly they're indignant about those who don't see it or critical about those who aren't so liberal. You know, and this is kind of the story of life is that we're constantly refining our attachments and projections. To summarize my criticism, yeah, please. it's that when spirituality is used in service of me versus uh -huh. in service of others, yeah. 
that there's a, a missing of the mark mm. that's actually a distortion mm -hmm. of the great virtues that spirituality Absolutely. is supposed to ask to flower in our being. Yeah. Because it also just becomes the me game. Well, you know, with, with, and it slightly looks good, maybe smells a little better than, yeah. than other people's me game, but it's yeah. still the same thing. Yeah, it's a gilded cage. Yeah. I absolutely agree. However, I would add that for me, I place emphasis on experience. And if a person's motivation, so the self-concept, you might also call motivational style. Yeah. Yeah. Is it about seeming? Is it about becoming something? Or is it about the essence of being? And all I can say is, if my personal passion is to help people to awaken, I want to meet them where they're at. And I will tell you that I have met people who've come to me just to manage stress, just to be happier themselves, very much about a me game, but in very seriously tasting, trying, committing to a practice, they have awoken to those deeper levels. And so all of a sudden, someone who comes at it all about me falls through that trap door and this, this kind of brings me to, at the risk of being confusing, the 12 master paths. The reason why I've identified these pathways is to say that for thousands of years, millions of people have been coming into relationship with what I'm calling the sacred, or you could call consciousness, through a relatively small number of avenues, despite the many shades and, you know, costumes, and there's an innate power, an innate capacity in those vehicles that we can trust. So if someone is simply willing to commit to the vehicle, I'm willing to let the vehicle do its work. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to let the divine mm -hmm. take response, well, I don't know if the words responsibility, play its role yeah. in awaking that person. And I'm just trying to match them up. I'm like a used car salesman. Right. Okay. I just want to get them in a car today. Right. Well, fair enough. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the, the idea of also people being honest about what yeah. their genuine yeah. call is. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. we have the self-concept, and we we have we we begin with the sacred concept, the Correct. God concept, yeah. the self-concept, yeah. and now the four other. So, the next thing we have is belief style. Belief style is really about whether we see that the path that we are on to date or our worldview is the only way, whether it's the only way for us, but it's okay for others to have their way, or all ways are fine, because ultimately it's about coming into contact with something greater. And you can feel there's a parallel between those three and the what I, I call persona, soul, and spirit. So what it looks like in the religious world, for example, is the fundamentalists. But let's not jump to conclusions and think Islamic fundamentalists and Christian fundamentalists. You know, I've met a lot of Buddhist fundamentalists, sure. a lot of yogi fundamentalists, sure. right? You know, um, my favorite irony is the people who are peace fundamentalists, sure, sure. right? I am so uh, adamant about peace in this world that I'm willing to slash your damn tires, you Hummer driving, you yeah, know. Sure. Okay. But then the next is to say, well, I can own what's for me, and I can also say, you can have your own. Right. I don't want to know about it. <laughs> I don't necessarily need to see it. But 
I got my way, you got yours. So in that second sort of layer of belief style, we have respect shows up, tolerance. Even relationship. I'm willing to learn from others, sit at their table. But again, we move to that third position, which would be a position very familiar to you, and even this model probably is. This is the position where we recognize that any path, any practice is merely a vehicle as they say in the old tradition, just fingers pointing at the moon. And let's not mistake the messenger for the message. But, but I also hear as you're identifying this that it's important for people to tell the truth about where they are on these yeah. three without necessarily saying, you know, like, for example, you said, you know, I'm probably, no, I'm actually more of the number two type. I have a path for me yeah. that I think is the path that works for me. And yeah. I secretly, I kind of think it's better than other paths. I do, actually. Yeah. I've done my darndest to open up yeah. to all of the other paths yeah. and see their equal value. But if you really look inside my heart, that's yeah. a, I'm actually more of a, of a number two type. So yeah. I have to tell the truth about that. I have to come clean. Right. And if see, I'm going to find the, the, if I'm going to actually use this model accurately, yes. I have to tell the truth about it. Yeah, and that, that's beautiful. I, lo- I love that application. And see, the thing that's nice is it's not hierarchical. It's simply an awareness tool. Mm-hmm. It just, it really, to me, doesn't matter how you answer any of these questions because it's going to shift and evolve throughout our life, which is why the spiritual personality model is not about archetypes, right? Am I the dancer? Am I the wizard? Am I the, you know, those are nice, but too often the way I see people use them is they'll fill out the score sheet and then they'll go about their lives labeling people. Oh, of course, she's like that because she's the harlot. And oh, I'm like this because I'm the hierophant. Yeah. That's not the point of those models. It's to uh, awaken to potential and even to transcend the archetype itself. So this is meant to be kind of a living dynamic system. And yeah, it's true that even some of the most mature, evolved, awakened souls, when it comes to belief style, will fall into that second level. And certainly I would say that for teachers, it's actually kind of important. Because if you don't have a measure of passion yeah. about your style, how do you get up every day and yeah. say, we're going to do yoga again? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we're going to do meditation again. I mean, yeah. if our priests and rabbis didn't believe in what they exactly. did, you know, the Dalai Lama would show up in jeans and a t-shirt. But he honors his tradition yeah. and his path. And yet we can't deny that there are those teachers and seekers who do end in that sort of third category, which is the whatever works category. When I talk to people about this particular aspect of spiritual personality, very often the natural impulse is, well, don't we all want to be in that transcendent level? And I like to point out that when we look historically at the great mystics that live in that level, like, life's tough. You know, they don't hold down a job. Yeah. You know, these are the Ramakrishnas that are in the middle of a sentence and they fall down in bliss and people need to wash them and feed them. Yeah. And if you have kids and a job, I wouldn't necessarily aspire to be there all the time. Well, and to me, the important thing whenever you're figuring out anything about yourself is to yeah. tell the truth. I mean, so here this we are, we're, we're bringing awareness to our spiritual personality. Yes. It's not what you want to be, it's what you right. actually are. I mean, yeah. just tell the truth about it. Yeah, and what I find is that energetically, when we're in the truth, we are, we are just a step from that pure consciousness anyway. In a sense, we are a living expression of it, a conduit even, when we're in our truth. 
And, and as people always say, oh, the truth is so freeing. You know, I was afraid to tell my friend that I didn't like their party or what yeah. they're wearing. And the minute I just owned it, something changed. Yeah. And I do believe that our thoughts are directly connected to our energy body. And when we're in our truth, there is a kind of clarifying, a kind of harmonizing, and even elevating of the energy body when we simply speak our truth. And I think that's why, just to pick up on this whole theme yeah. of truth, because I think it's a good one, that's why, you know, many of us have met people who are anything but, quote, spiritual. But they are so honest about who they are. Yeah. Even if they're kind of a, you know, I, I hate to create a stereotype, but kind of a, you know, beer guzzling, wrestling, washing, watching, yeah. truck yeah. driving, you know, stereotype that doesn't fit the spiritual mold. Yeah. But when they are so honest about who they are. Yeah. There's a quality of connection and transmission yeah. that transcends the, the trappings. Exactly. And so I, th that's a beautiful thing that I think you're pointing okay. out. Okay, the fourth quality of my spiritual Fourth quality is, uh, so where are we, belief style? Oh, experiential style. Mm. Now this can be a whole program. And actually this is something that I have even started writing about. And it's acknowledging that we, as human beings, seem to have different natural styles of encountering the sacred. So, for example, when we look at the, um, you might even say, the inventory of spiritual experiences available to us, seeing lights, hearing voices, um, you know, connecting with divine beings. Very often what I find is that, you know, I will find either seekers or even advanced, you know, teachers will say, how come I don't get to hear spirits? Sure. You know, I see energy, I see auras, sure. but I want to talk to God. Sure. He talks to Jesus. Well, what I try to remind people is that we just have different ways of getting it. Yeah. And it's okay. That's part of that spiritual personality is I hear voices, you get a gut feeling, someone else sees energy and auras. Yeah. And I truly do not believe that one is better than the other. It's about how you use it, how clear it is, where it takes you. And again, a good example would be that we see people who talk to angels and yet they're still kind of egocentric, miserable people. Yeah. And we see people who uh, talk to angels and, and, and they themselves are angelic, beautiful, patient. So it's not really about how you get it, it's what you do with it. So experiential style is a little bit like your intuitive style or uh, how yeah, you connect to you what's beyond that. you? I think you could say that. I would say it's how, I mean, depending on where you put the orientation, yeah. you could say it's how the divine reveals itself to you Okay. or the manner in which you perceive it. Cool. The fifth aspect okay. of my spiritual Okay, so the last two aspects then yeah. have to do very explicitly with practice. Okay. So I call one the foundational element or foundational style, and the second is the freedom element or the freedom style. What does this mean? This means what is the style of practice that naturally appeals to me most? Quite simply, am I a body person? Am I kinesthetic? Am I a mind person? Do I like to think things through? Am I an emotional person? Do I like to feel something while I'm going through it? Or am I a soul person? Meaning, my fixation is always 
on that spirit level. You know, I, I want to strip away the other stuff. And we do find these kinds of personalities. You know, you, you for example, in the, in the Hindu tradition, you know, there's long history of talking about the yana yogis, the mind yogis, and the, the bhakti yogis, the devotional, and, and hatha, and, and so on and so forth. So there are certainly some, some connections between these kinds of models. But essentially, it's just saying, what are you naturally attracted to when it comes to a practice? That's all. The reason why I call it the foundational element is because that's usually where we start. And if someone hasn't started their practice, that's where I suggest they start. So if they love analyzing, thinking, problem solving, they love the numbers. Ooh, it's the six elements and then the 12 paths. And I want to know about the seven, you know, great. I would encourage them to explore something like sacred study. Immerse yourself through the paths of the mind. If someone else says, ugh, that's a lot of mental jargon. I want to feel it. I want to be in my body. If I can't move while I'm doing it, I don't want to hear about it. To that person, person, I'd say, don't worry about the numbers. Go do a practice that takes you into your body. Tai Chi, Qigong, walking meditation. So ultimately, we're trying to find what our foundational vehicle is going to be. Now, what if I look at myself and I take a number like 100%, uh-huh. not to introduce more numbers in yeah, the yeah. conversation, I say, well, 20% of me is like this, and 40% uh-huh. of me is like that, and okay. as I relate to those four different types that you're Correct. describing. Yeah. So, this brings up a couple things. First of all, what we've included in the program is a questionnaire. And what you can do in the questionnaire is find your natural tendency around these four orientations, like do you tend toward the body, the mind, you know, the heart or the soul. And yeah, people will find, you know, that it, they're not all one. You know, they may be a slight margin more focused on the mind than the heart or, or these kinds of things. That's normal. That's fine. Um, the other thing that it also raises is that as, what I believe is that as we progress, we also become more integral in our interests and integral in our practices. So what we include with the program is a spiritual practice plan. Three sort of levels of progression. I'm new to this stuff, I've done some of this stuff before, and I've done a lot of this stuff and I want to go to another level. For the people that are new to all this spiritual seeking and growth, I focus on the foundational element. Pick the area that appeals to you most and invest some time and energy there. I'm simplifying this, but that's in in essence what I'm saying. But then as we move to the next level, we're adding. Now bring in something from another dimension that you didn't focus on. Maybe you were all in your body here. You're all focused on a physical practice. Now as we move to sort of our second stage, let's add another level. Let's add something more emotional or intellectual. When we move to the third we have to talk about the freedom element. So that's the sixth aspect of spiritual personality. And what that is, that's the style or practice that appeals to you the least. Uh That's the part, that's the stuff you want to avoid. Mm -hmm. You know? And, oh, you know, those people, you know, (laughs) those people, those people are participating in our freedom element. So what we resist what we judge, what we naturally feel uncomfortable with. I'd like to suggest 
holds the greatest power for us. So you're saying of these four categories, if there's one that I resist the most, yeah. that's the one that becomes the sixth aspect of my personality, Correct. the rejected. You got it. Okay, cool. So this is really in some way to draw some parallels to other systems like the shadow work. Yeah. You know, this is basically saying if, I'll give you a great example, a yoga teacher came to me recently and he said, I've been a yoga teacher for, I think it was something like 12 13 years, something like that. And uh, very successful. People love him. He's got his own little following. But in his own life, he feels a kind of a stagnation because he's kind of done the yoga thing. Yeah. And he keeps going back to more other yoga teachers and he's trying to find higher yoga masters to challenge him. And I said, well, have you considered just doing something different? Now, by that, I didn't mean give up being a yoga teacher. It's his life. It's his love. But I said, have you tried some of the other pathways? Yeah. And he said, well, you know, I've always been interested in shamanism, but it kind of scares me, you know, because I've spent so much time uh, aspiring to rise above the world. It feels very nitty gritty and all this stuff about spirits. And I don't know, like I'm kind of yeah. afraid of what I might contact. And I'm afraid I might like it. And I'm afraid that it's going to require a lot of discomfort. And, you know, I've been through discomfort learning to be a master of what I am. And this is now easy for me. I don't want to go back to that stuff. So I said, perfect. That's a perfect path for you to start to explore. And when stuff comes up, when you feel awkward or uncomfortable, this is your greatest opportunity for freedom. It's like the gilded cage suddenly being blown apart. So I do believe that in time, Yes, if we're serious about whatever that is that at the end of the spiritual journey, if there is such a thing as an end, um, we are going to have to face that freedom element. And the reason why I call it the freedom element instead of the, you know, the rejected element or the shadow element is because I want the language about it to be about empowerment yeah. and not anything that we might assume to be negative or, 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 or you know, something that, that, that would even promote more of the fear. And for my own self, I have to say that probably um, that realization of the freedom element is where I found my greatest growth in life. What was your freedom element? Well, I'll tell you, there was a time where I basically just started looking for any place where I found myself making decisions out of fear or found myself avoiding things and I just went for them. I just, anything. So <laughs> I could give you a long list of things that fell into my freedom element. Um, one, one of my primary teachers has been a Native American fellow in, in, the, in the Lakota Sioux tradition. And when I got involved with him, you know, this was, uh, you know, as a traditional healer, you know, I was around sweat lodges and pipe ceremonies, uh, sacred pipe ceremonies and so on. And this was all beautiful. And the, and the sweat lodges, you know, can be a little bit rigorous, but, you know, I think most people can move through them. And then there became this invitation to, to participate in something they call hanblecha in their tradition. And in English, we call this vision quest. So now it's spending days in a place of isolation, confined to a small space without food or yeah. water or shelter. Yeah. Now, I'm a Jewish Canadian, right? I grew up in a pretty sheltered home, and this did not sound like something oh, I wanted okay. to sign up for. Okay. You know, when we fasted for Yom Kippur, this was 24 hours yeah. that we would negotiate down to 12, and yeah. we would drink water and brush yeah. our teeth. 
<laughs> I yeah. wasn't sure that sounded like something I could even do. But it was precisely that feeling, that fear, I don't think I can do this, yeah. that made me say, try it, take yeah. this step, and see what it is you're afraid of. And of course, the only thing that I was afraid of was myself, yeah. you know, and, and, and the ego and the persona. In the end, in fact, one of the great realizations that I, I didn't really talk about in the program, but I do talk, in my, talk about in my book, Return to the Sacred, um, is it probably the greatest moment that came, one of the greater moments that came to me on my path was through fasting and was through hitting a, a, an experience that was physically so rigorous and um, you might even say awful heat and thirst and, and exhaustion that it could do nothing less than obliterate the ego because the more I clung to I should be able to do this why is this so hard yeah. I don't like this it just got worse and worse and worse until all of a sudden I said to myself I can't do this but what registered within yeah was that the I doesn't yeah. do anything. Yeah, it's a type of surrender. Yeah. So this idea of surrender is really what the freedom element is all about. Now the piece that we do talk about in the program is that I don't necessarily recommend this for people who are beginning the journey or even have safety or health concerns around their freedom element. I feel that it's important that you either have a very good mentor who's either experienced this same process or path, or you have a, quite a bit of self-awareness and knowledge, and that means not only in terms of your, your mental health, but also physical health. Mm -hmm. Because the freedom elements can trigger a lot of things, just even on a psychological level, whether it's old wounds or abuses. Sure, there's a reason we're avoiding them. This, Correct. This thing. So let's be careful. Okay, so now I think I, I get my spiritual personality, the process I'm going to go through right. to discover this. Mm -hmm. What do I do with this information? Right. So this is interesting because what I think a lot of people are, are thinking or expecting is that once they found out their spiritual personality, the work is done. But it's quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. Once you take a, a reading of where you're at right now, this is when the work begins. So this is what the remainder of the program is really about, which is now that you have a sense of where you're at, how do you pick a practice that is suited for you at this time in your life, at this stage in your life, that's going to draw upon your natural tendencies and aptitudes and yet challenge you to awaken to a deeper level of being? And so I'm given a whole array of potential practices well, that potentially match up with my spiritual personality? More or less. At the heart of this program is an examination of what I call 12 master paths. Because if, as I've traveled and as I've studied and done all these you know, degrees trying to understand spirituality better, or at least trying to articulate it better, one thing has occurred to me again and again over time, which is that while there is an endless number of ways to talk about spirituality and an endless number of practices and exercises we can do, they're really just different iterations or versions of a core set. You know, I do believe that there are more or less 12 practices that we just dress up differently in different places and times. So a good example would be meditation. 
we find meditation in all the world's traditions, from Christianity to shamanic traditions. It's not just a Buddhist thing. But of course, the traditions may emphasize meditation differently, or they may call it something different. Similarly, devotional practices or the use of ceremony and rituals of practice. This shows up in all of our traditions, and even in the traditions where they try to withdraw it, even where they say, no, it's not allowed, it still shows up. A great example would be the Western stereotype about Buddhism. Buddhism's all about meditation. It's all about pure consciousness. If you travel the world and actually spend time with real living Buddhists, you will find Buddhists that are all about ritual. You will find Buddhists that are devotional. They see the Buddha as a, uh, like a messenger of consciousness that you essentially entrust the Buddha as your vehicle. You will find Buddhists that practice as, um, as shamans do. So the idea is simplifying the choices, and recognizing that you may prefer different teachers or religious expressions of these 12 paths, but essentially there are 12 that I recommend that people pick from. And yes, the 12 do um, fall into four categories of mind-oriented, body-oriented, heart-oriented, and soul-oriented. So you have your spiritual personality, and you make your selection from the 12 practices. The idea in the program is to give people a, a simple but clear understanding about what each of the 12 practices are, sort of give them a feel for why they would want to do it, and then I give them some actual experiential exercises. And not just things to do for five minutes and then decide, but I'm recommending exercises in some cases that people do for as much as 40 days. You know, I'm trying to encourage people to understand that spirituality is an experience. It's not just about filling out the questionnaires and suddenly having a new idea about who they are. Yeah. It's about giving them a process to have a personal lived awakening yeah. to something deeper within them. Jonathan, thank you. Yeah, you know thank what you. I love about what you're doing mm. is you're welcoming everyone. You're welcoming All everyone and, and yeah. uh, helping them find the next step for them, so it's really fascinating. Great, thank you. Good night. Jonathan Ellerby, the creator of a new audio learning series with Sounds True called Your Spiritual Personality, Finding the Path That's Right for You. Thank you, Jonathan, for the conversation. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey.